All right, uh, welcome back to The Right Hook with me, George. Well, uh, regular listeners, of course, are expecting the dulcet tones of my next guest speaking in his second language, speaking Osperla. It is, of course, Moncom again with Tuesday Travel. Moncom, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, George. It's an international week because, of course, we vary... Where are we going internationally? I want to look at a, at Canada, do an overview of Canada. So in previous weeks, I think we've looked at uh, British Columbia and we've looked at the Yukon, you know, going up to Alaska via the Yukon. But I just want to look at, because when people, ha- so many people dismiss Canada and they dismiss it as sort of a bland, white, watered down version of the United States. So because there's all these new flights going to Canada now, I just want to give people an overview of the richness of the place. You know, you cannot easily um, compact or pigeonhole uh, Canada. First, it's, it, has, it contains six time zones within it. So it is, you know, 120 times the size of Ireland. It's, 100, it's 10 million square kilometres. This is not a place that you can easily say, you know, I've, see, I've been to it once and I've, I've seen, I, I sort of, I understand the place. It is the, the level of wildlife, the level of how easy it is to get back onto the food chain and be among sort of wolves and moose and bears, black bears and grizzly bears and whales, whales is on a par with few other places in the world. It is an untrammeled wilderness, you know, and, the big mistake is people just fly into that section of the border that uh, links the United States and think they know it from there. All right. Now, if you're, as many people do, yes. um, uh, many people will come from the US mm-hmm. uh, and, and add on Canada, which is a mistake. You've got to do Canada as a standalone destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, the immigration service in Canada is notable for <laughs> its unwillingness to let you into the country. Oh, they're, no, they're more polite than America. Like, you know, they're, 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 it's always, always easier to think up an excuse and to get into Canada. I know we've Americanized all, Irishized all the Americans out at Dublin Airport. So <laughs> it's a doddle. Anyway, let's not yeah, go but they're, No, they're polite and they're welcoming, you know. They don't have that militant sort of suspicious No, I think the Canadians are very difficult. We'll agree to differ. Okay. Now, you're probably going to fly into Toronto, are you? Yeah, so, you know, the, you, we've all seen the ads. The new sort of airlines, Air Transat, are now flying to Montreal and Toronto. They said they would be dirt, dirt cheap, and they're not really. They're whatever, 470 euros, 490 euros return, which isn't bad. I, I mean, that, that, that's fine, I suppose. Air France, though, is flying for 372 euros. From Paris? Yeah, the problem is, yeah, exactly. So Air Transat will be direct. Uh, Air France will be from Paris. To Toronto Montreal? Yeah. First, now, first of all, mm-hmm. now, Okay, we we can fly there. You can fly to Vancouver from London, which mm-hmm. is about a ten hour flight, um, with British Airways. There may be others. I did it with British Airways. Ten hour flight. Ten hours. Oh, sorry. Please. Yeah, with British Airways. Uh-huh. They haven't done a ten hour flight since nineteen forty six. But you have huge cultural differences now between Toronto and Montreal. Mm-hmm, exactly. Between Quebec and Ontario. Well, that's the thing. There is so much different culture in Canada. In different, like we we associated some sort of white, you know, Western sort of West European country. In fact, there's that whole rich French culture in Quebec and the whole province of Quebec. Montreal is interesting because it's got both. It's got French and English. But uh, you also have, you know, in Vancouver now you have this whole Asian country. After you know when China took back Hong Kong. 
million, well, hundreds of thousands of Chinese moved to Vancouver. And so you're now getting some of the base, best Asian night markets and noodle stalls in Vancouver. You still have the whole um, French Celtic tradition in places like Cape, Cape Breton Island where you're getting wild fiddling parties that are, or fiddle parties, should I say, um, of which are like 19th century Arcadian, you know, music. Now, you've covered about 10 million square miles in four sentences mm-hmm. by going from Toronto to Vancouver. Let's stay with just Toronto and Montreal. Stay with the East Coast for a minute. Well, can I go the other way? Okay, I mean, I could, but what I want to do is you the highlights. You want to go to the West Coast. All right, no. give me a few highlights. Okay, so what I want to do is first, in, well, so in terms of food, it's that what I want to get a sense of is that variety. If you go in British Columbia, we know it's sort of known for the, the great salmon it's, then and the sort of these velvety scallops. Inland a bit, you have the Okanagan Valley, wonderful wines, wonderful fruit. Then you're getting into Saskatchewan, Alberta, um, which is sort of more corn. It's that's sort of the dull areas. But I want to give you some highlights there to make to make you think it is worth stopping in Manitoba in those central prairie states. But in terms of food, you're getting you move on to Quebec, and then you get the whole French influence food, the famous um, poutine, these sort of fries with with gravy and. Uh, but there's cheese more curds. surely to Canada than food. There is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, some if one was doing. The entire can. The things one needs to see. We've covered British Columbia in, in previous weeks, so I don't. That's all the whale watching. It's Stanley Park. Um, it's the Rockies, the wonderful sort of um, mountain, sort of sort of. Uh, and the Rocky and Mountaineer train. That's right. Exactly. Don't lose that. No, which we've also which we've also covered. One of the great highlights that you'd have to fly to is sort of the, is the polar bears in Churchill in in sort of very high man, in Hudson Bay in Manitoba. Now. That is going to require a separate flight. What it is, is one of the best places in the world to see polar bears. And, you know, you're only going to see them on a special safari trip on basically these tundra buggies, these all-terrain buggies. So you fly up to the very north of Hudson Bay where the, Arbo- the boreal forest meets the Arctic. So the line between... So what will happen is the, 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 the polar bears will come in on land uh, into Hudson Bay uh, and then in July, they'll come to the co- uh, sort of inland and roam deep in wilderness. You're not going to see them. But in October, November, right now, uh, sort of beginning in a month's time, you're going to see the polar bears coming to the coast, waiting for the first of the icebergs to come in to Hudson Bay that they got onto, and then they go searching um, for seals. Now, uh, one of these trips is like, it's a unique experience. First, you're, area, you're, you're entering a geographical area that few of us see. This, the line between the Arctic and the Boreal, which is where you're going to find snowy owls and gyre falcons and caribou and Arctic hare and Arctic foxes. Um, in, you know, it's that dense pine forest, but with white wilderness beyond. And the polar bears, because of the, how, they're, how they're increasingly endangered and because of the pure size of them, you know, these animals which, who, can, who can smell their prey 30 kilometres away, 30 kilometres. Like, they can, they can smell if there's a seal below them beneath three feet of ice and snow. So to get out in one of these uh, tundra buggies and see these polar bears, they have no fear of any animal on Earth, including human beings. It is worth doing. But it's a, it's a separate trip. And just it's, it gives people a sense that Canada isn't just all safe towns. It isn't all safe villages. Otherwise, coming in from British Columbia, which, as I said, we've covered and people know because of Vancouver, the next is um, sort of Alberta. And Alberta... People dismiss it because the prairies start there. But the two great uh, sort of highlights are Jasper and Banff. Um, And again, they are considered resort towns. They are beautiful. 
uh, and you know they weren't built as exploitative mining towns they were built as access points into this wilderness a hundred years ago so what happened was in Banff particularly in like 1888 this Canadian Pacific Railway that you mentioned arrives in they build uh, a, a, a sort of a, a hotel in 1888 and some of those original buildings are still there. The, the Canadian Pacific mm-hmm. Company is still hugely involved in hotels. That's it. Yeah, yeah. The Fairmont Hotel Group for instance uh, and I'd recommend Fairmont Hotels to anybody going to Canada uh, if they're in Toronto and Vancouver and probably elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Great hotels. I mean uh, run by Canadian Pacific I think or certainly were. Mm. And you get a sense. So when I'm talking Banff and Jasper, these are these almost picturesque, almost too beautiful lakes. You know Lake Louise, which is the famous lake, this turquoise blue lake. Been there. Yeah, surrounded by the Toblerone-shaped mountains, the white-clad mountains, and then this forest going down to the shore. And, I mean, there's crowds there, to be fair. You know, the the problems with the great points in in, in Canada, the other one that disappoints so many people, Niagara Falls, on the whole other side of Canada. Just 12 million people visit Niagara Falls. It is spectacular. It is still, what is it, one million bathtubs of water falling over a a ridge in the rock uh, every single second with spuming water. But, you know, the crowds are there. But the reason they are spectacular, the reason Niagara Falls, the reason Lake Louise in Banff is so beautiful is because there's nothing else like them. But Banff is fabulous. You get there using the Rocky Mountaineer. You can. And, and it's a great hotel there. I think it's a Fairmont Hotel, mm-hmm. in fact, right on the, on Lake Louise. I, it, that was a great feeling for me. I must say that was uh, one of the highlights of my trip to Canada. Yeah. And I mean, it is a bit touristy and there's souvenir shops, there's fancy restaurants, there's these quaint tea shops, these 19th century tea shops. But the thing is, if you walk five minutes, ten minutes outside of Banff, you're back on the food chain again. You're liable to see, to hear wolves, hopefully not see them, and possibly to run into a black bear. You know, and, and you're not talking Calgary at all on this trip, are you? Calgary isn't so interesting. Did you find it like? I mean, the, you know, you want to avoid the big cities. These were the these were industrial cities. A lot of Irish people are going there to work there. But the thing of Edmonton, Calgary. They create great festivals, winter festivals. Yeah. Edmonton, in fact, has the biggest fringe festival in the world in it, or the second. I was surprised when you said Alberta that you hadn't mentioned Edmonton because mm-hmm. of the festival. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as cities themselves, you want to go, I suppose, over to the east coast for the sort of the more quaint. But cities. you're slightly different. It's not fair of you to impose your sort of hippie, sandal, no socks wearing culture on every single tourist. Like some people would like to go to Calgary and see the Mounties and I bought a suitcase there, which is quite good. But this is this isn't my fault. This is your There's fault. It's a Calgary stampede, for instance. Exactly, exactly. Which is a which is a wonderful sort of traditional element of yeah, exactly. Um, you know, early twentieth century rural agriculture. And you see a mountie. You, you see a mountie exactly, and you'll still see chuck wagon racing and first first nation exhibitions. Yeah, and it is still a very big issue for the local people there. So I mean, these are nice elements. But one of the, the thing to go between Banff and Jasper, if you are thinking these places are too touristy, get out onto the Columbia Icefield. It's the only area where the Columbia Icefield is accessible. And this is basically the remains of a glacier from the Ice Age. It it feeds eight different glaciers in the area, but it also feeds all of the rivers that you're going to come across, you know, on your trip. So the Columbia River, the North Saskatchewan River, um, the Mackenzie, the Fraser, all are coming from this vast icefield wilderness. And the minute you see these, the minute, in other words, when you get away from that ribbon of civilization that abuts the, America, uh, the United States, you see this is this vast wilderness that, that goes on there. 
The other thing, and again in Alberta, that's a bit touristy but worth seeing, is Drumheller. Drumheller was this area, it is these deep gorges, these deep dry river gorges that were a sort of forgotten place that's almost too hot in the summer because they're, they're low down. But then it has now become... Um, after Utah, the best place to see dinosaur remains in the world. Now, the town has overcapitalized on it, so it can be a bit cheesy. Like, you're going to see a 26-meter Tyrannosaurus Rex on one corner, and everywhere else you'll see there'll be replicas of Stegosauruses. But the main museum there, the Royal Tyrrell Museum, is is as much doing cutting-edge research as a tourist opportunity. So it's worth it's worth it was worth going to Alberta despite the fact that uh, people pass through it. What about the Great Plains, of Manitoba? Yeah, again, lovely to drive through on a road trip. You know, these are all you're seeing forever, forever is grain and then sort of oil oil derricks. Very interesting forms because they're now create they're now getting some of the indigenous people are recreate are growing their old traditional purple and yellow and red grains again. But if you're going I mean, that vast area in between, you're not going to spend too long there. I, the, uh, sorry if I may. Yeah. I always think Canada is mm-hmm. a bit like Australia. There's not a lot in the middle. That's right. There isn't, no. I mean, you can, you can make points, you can make arguments for some of those things. But get up north. It's going to be more expensive. To get, get up to Newfoundland. Like, Newfoundland is an undiscovered... I thought you'd get down to Newfoundland, no? Well, how would you get... No, let's just say if you're in Toronto or if you're in Montreal or Ottawa, you're going to go up north to Newfoundland or around, out and around. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's... It is the, the the most easterly point. In terms point. of yeah. uh, lines of latitude, yes. is Newfoundland not about the same as Toronto? No, it's it, no, it's north of it and then out a bit. So it's as far right. east as you can go. But you're, okay. you're going to have to travel north. You're going to have to fly. Because north. we're we're talking here about where uh, the early transatlantic aeroplanes used to refuel. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. What's the town called? Oh, I don't remember. Isn't there a town in Newfoundland? No? Yeah, well, I mean, this, the the capital where most people are um, based, are, I suppose, is... is Can't that, remember. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, there used to be a doctor there who was a great rugby coach um, called Pat, 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 uh, Pat Parfrey. He played in the wing for Ireland and then he went to coach Canada in rugby. And he's a doctor in Newfoundland. St. John's. St. John's. There you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. It's the capital. It's where most people live, in fact, there. So what would you go to Newfoundland for? To see... An interesting thing north of St. John's is Lance au Meadow, which is where, basically, you remember, what's Liv Evan, Liv er, Leif Erikson, the first Viking to ever arrive, to ever, to ever discover oh. the world. Oh, Leif Erikson yeah. was a film actor in a, a movie about the Apaches called Can't Remember... Yeah, and Lee Ferrickson was the first Viking as well, was he? I mean, you see, we can't really know the name, but that's what exactly that it's was a Viking the, name. Yeah, that's, and that, your that's point. what the Norse. Oh, no, well, the Norse always claimed was Leif, Leif Erikson was the first man to go out in the same way as we claim Saint Brendan was. You know? All right, so, okay. So and he arrived, but he or let's say his people arrived. So it is said that it was him, but it was he, his people arrived, and there's this perfect remains of their settlement, uh, their 11th century settlement um, in this place north of Saint John's, Lance au Meadow, um, where you're seeing. First, the remains. So the, the you know they they they're the same houses that they were in Wood Key, basically wood frame houses with turf in the middle. But there's eight of the houses there with their forges and their workshop, and you can see in the museum the things that were dug up from a thousand years ago, or yeah, a thousand years ago. Basically, these the, the the all these iron objects that they forged when they brought their forging skills to to the area. So rivets and buckles, um, and sort of ballast stones, birch birch uh, covers for their balancing stones. They were basically they came over to trade with whoever was there, but. 
it, I mean, it's, it's uncanny. It's a, it's a really dull area. It's just an area of vast bog exp- spreading out you know, as far as you can see. But when you get it, when you actually see there's a recreation of three of the Viking houses there and there are docents, you know, these volunteers dressed up in traditional Viking area, um, clothes still doing the old forging techniques. And it's uncanny. You know, you get a sense of exactly what would have happened. That's interesting because I remember going to Norway Mm -hmm. and I went to uh, one of these Viking type banquets or who are the the original people in Norway? Vikings, are they? Yeah, exactly. The Danes and the Norway. And like it it was a poor man's bun ratty, but it was appalling. Mm -hmm. Like you do have to be careful going to some of these touristy things that go on every night and have five busloads of tourists. I agree. No, but there's people dressed up. In that regard, bun ratty ranks with amongst the best. It does. Yeah, no, we laugh at bun ratty. It's actually a very good experience. It's worth trying out. so, you know, if you're going to Newfoundland, it is, again, if I was saying like Alberta had areas of, of, of wilderness expanse, you know, there is almost nothing in Newfoundland except those remote fishing village along the coast. You know, St. John has a little bit of culture and his people um, gathered there. Otherwise, um, you're, some of those fishing villages still have no roads to them. So the only way, it's perfect if you want a kayaking holiday. You kayak from one fishing village to another and you'll be staying in people's houses. You'll be eating, you know, partridge berry pie and cod tongue and drinking, hearing like fishing stories at night while drinking back rum. It's like it is a, an area where they will absolutely welcome you. And particularly, as you know, the famous thing in Newfoundland, the vo- they have their own language. So you're going to, you know, the, everything is go on boy and, and yes boy. It's sort of a mixture of West Counties of Bristol type accent with some Kilkenny Wexford accent with some Scottish accent. They've, you know, because they remain so untouched, they still have their, that's extraordinary. Not their own quite language, but things like you know you can go, which is you can't get, which means sort of you got some energy or it's some cold out. So these old sort of quaint nineteenth century forms of language. Um, so it's it is a lonely, it's a wilderness type of of uh, holiday, but it's it's really beautiful. The other thing, if you're in Newfoundland, take a trip out. Um, to St. Pierre and Miquelon, which are just these islands, 25 kilometres off the shore. But they're owned by France. They've been owned by France since 1816. In fact, I mean, they were first taken over. The Portuguese found them in, in the 16th century, and then the French took them over. The English for a while during the Seven Years, uh, years War, but they're still owned by France. So the cars are all Citroën and, and uh, Peugeot. They're still using Euros there. It is the finest baguettes. They wear berets, berets, I mean. So they, it is like... France from the 1950s. You're kidding. No, it's really quaint. And they, their houses are like sort of a Provençal town, like painted lovely colours of lavender and pink and sort of, and, and, and sort of orange. Um, no, it's, it's, re- it's a really quirky place. And they look back on the mainlanders. When you're in, you know, because the famous thing about the fishing villages is they're stern, doer, taciturn places and people, do you know? And these, <laughs> these French have all of this charm and they're even more sort of French than the French Gallic themselves. Gallic would be the phrase. Thank you very it? much. Exactly. Um, yeah, Northwest Territories, we, we don't need to spend long on it because we sort of touched on those when we were going on our road up to Alaska oh, a few weeks yeah. ago, which is Yukon, Northwest Territories. It is wilderness. Like, more people circumnavigate the world every year than visit the national parks in the Northwest Territories, okay? This is, there is nobody there. Yellowknife is the capital where 50% of the people live, and it feels like a gold rush era uh, frontiers town. You know, there are still, mostly you're going to hear bush planes coming in, houseboats. There is no road between, um, between Yellowknife and the Arctic Circle. So, you know, you're flying into these places for a real surreal 
uh, element. And yet there's great culture there because during the winter they're closed in, nothing else happens. So the government puts on a lot of money. They're making money from oil and from mining. So they put amazing uh, sort of All right. facilities. Okay. Well, Canada sounds an interesting place, but uh, Moncom makes a different kind of interesting. And uh, uh, heaven knows what we've got. Uh, next week, given that we were surfing in Sligo last week and this week um, we're up in Yellowknife in Canada. Uh, I've no idea where he's going to go, but I know it's going to be fun. It's Tuesday travel here on the right hook.